Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast. With me, your host Tom, and with me is... Tim. Hi guys. Hi everyone. How are you today, Tom? I'm very well, thanks Tim. How are you? Very good. Been watching lots of football this week and it's been an exciting week of Champions League football. So let's tell our listeners what we're going to talk about. Well, um, it's been a great week of Champions League football and we've got the last game week of Champions League matches coming up. So we're looking forward to the predictions to see who's going to qualify and to see who's going to win the last games. Mm-hmm. Yes, so we'll uh, go through the groups and we'll talk briefly about the games that happened this week. And uh, then we'll move on to a little bit of talk about the pre- a preview of the Premier League and the La Liga, the Spanish League, what games are coming up this weekend. And finally, we'll touch on a bit of controversial news regarding players collapsing on the field. So stay tuned. Tim, let's get started with the Champions League. Now, I know you've been watching some football games this week. Uh, Let's start with Group A. So, Group A in the Champions League has Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, Leipzig and Club Bruges. It looks like it's all over. The positions are decided. Manchester City beat Paris Saint-Germain 2-1 this week in the football, away in Paris. uh, And Paris are already qualified in second position uh, with eight points, Manchester City with 12 points. Tim, did you watch the game? Yes, I did. And it was a really interesting game of football. Um, Obviously, I think it was 22 top, top, top quality players on the pitch, uh, two of the richest clubs in the world um, who have been able to spend huge transfer fees, huge salaries on their players. Um, and you could tell from the level of football. Um, it was a great game. Paris Saint-Germain took the lead 1-0. Um, and to be honest, that was against the run of play. When I say against the run of play, I mean, from the way the game was going, it didn't look like Paris Saint-Germain deserved to take the lead, but they did. So the run of play was in favour of Manchester City. They were creating more chances. They were with the run of play. Yes, definitely. Um, and and when the goal happened, it was a real surprise to Manchester City. Uh, Kylian Mbappe scored the goal. I'm sure our listeners won't be surprised to hear that. Um, and really, that was the, an opportunity for Paris Saint-Germain to kick on. Uh, and kick on means to, to take advantage of a good position. I love this phrasal verb. I hear it a lot in the dressing room at football grounds. The manager or the coach, or even after a game in an interview, they'll say... We need to kick on or we need to push on. Yes, so instead of, for example, to bounce back from a defeat, which means to react in a positive way to a bad thing, to kick on is to react in a good way, in a positive way, Mm. to something good. Yes, something good being like the end, the destination, the end of the journey. Yes, so when Paris Saint-Germain created a good situation for themselves by scoring the first goal, I expected them to kick on because... That's perfect for Paris Saint-Germain with their, with their strikers, with the speed they have up front. Mm. I thought they would sit deep and pick Manchester City off. Um, but Manchester City stayed calm. They kept playing their football. Uh, they stuck to their principles and their principles paid off. It was a fantastic turnaround in the second half. Um, And a fully deserved victory for Manchester City. Let's not forget, Tom, that Manchester City were without Kevin De Bruyne. They Mm. were without Phil Foden. Um, So it wasn't a full full string side. Mm -hmm. Um, Full strength. Full strength side, sorry. Mm 
Um, but Raheem Sterling was back in the back in the team. And yes, I saw him stretch out his lo- leg and just squeeze a goal inside the, the the post closest to him. Yes, I think in some ways he's a bit like a Gary Lineker of the nineteen nineties. The average distance from which he scores his goals must be about one meter. Yes, would we call this kind of player a fox in the box? Yes, a goal poacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a real quality because he's always in the right place when that low ball is played across he's always in the right place it was great work from uh, Kyle Walker down the right mm-hmm. um, England are really blessed with right backs let's also talk about the Manchester City winning goal because I saw it and I have to say for me the assist was sublime and by sublime I mean perfect on a plate yes it was beautiful football um, mm-hmm. Bernardo Silva played the ball uh, back across the ba- uh, the box pulled it back to Gabriel Jesus who played it in first mm-hmm. touch it was a wonderful sweeping move from Manchester City and when I say a sweeping move I mean they kept the ball moving they kept the momentum and the speed in the play they they didn't need to stop to, to create more openings or more space it was a beautiful goal um, and to be honest as I say, I think Manchester City deserved the victory and it was a real victory of style over individual quality. Those mm-hmm. three um, Paris Saint-Germain attackers, Mbappe, Neymar and of course Messi, um, I think they actually cost Paris Saint-Germain the match. Mm-hmm. They were unwilling to chase the Manchester City players. They were unable to put the Manchester City defence under any pressure when they were leaving or when they were trying to leave their own area with mm-hmm. the ball. And it gave Manchester City a platform which no team can afford to give Manchester City. So, my Tom, my question to you is, would the front three of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, would Klopp or Guardiola choose that front three? <laughs> I think it would take a brave manager to leave Kylian Mbappe out of your team. I, I take your point that he doesn't like to press. He's not going to give you the full defensive work. Yeah, I don't mean individually. I think individually we could find a place for Mbappe, mm. we can find a place for an, uh, Neymar and Messi. Mm. But I mean, as a three, as a unit, yeah. can that front three work? I don't mean yeah. against a smaller team. I mean, in top-level matches, when mm. Paris Saint-Germain face another team at, at their at their level... Mm. Uh, no, it, for me, it's a difficult question because you can't substitute those three players into the Liverpool team and expect the Liverpool team to work in the same way that Klopp has them uh, understanding each other. Uh, likewise with the, the Manchester City Pep Guardiola style where he, he tends not to have uh, a single sort of big number nine centre forward but he has a midfield full of players who can uh, bring, create dangerous chances in, in small spaces. So I can't see those three players in the Manchester City uh, Pep Guardiola system nor the Liverpool Jurgen Klopp system. I think uh, they, would, they would be on the bench. Yes, I think he would have to bench at least one of them. Um, I, I, the standout performances for me were Bernardo Silva. I think he's really developing as a player. There was talk that there wasn't any space for him in the uh, Manchester City team this season, but he's really developed. Um, he's he's finding ways to, to recycle possession, to intercept teams when they're trying to play out, and I think that's really added something to his game. He's not a he's not a pr- just a pretty player. He's also a very effective player. Just the kind of player that um, that Paris Saint Germain didn't have 
Mm-hmm. Shall we move on, Tom, and talk about... Um, because that group, I think we've got... Manchester City are confirmed to come first, yeah. and Paris Saint-Germain are confirmed to come second. It's all over. We'll see both teams... All, all four clubs will be playing their reserve teams, their, their squad players yes. in the next game. So let's move on to a very tight group for Ooh, second place. The group of death. We've got Group B, where Liverpool are runaway leaders. When I say runaway leaders, I mean they're, they're in the lead by a long way. They can't be caught. Played 5 one five. Yes. Um, but Porto, Milan and Atletico are separated by one point going into the final game week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last game, of course, is Liverpool against Milan and Porto against Atletico Madrid. And there will be all to play for. I think the, um, the Porto and Atletico fans will be hoping that Jurgen Klopp puts out a strong side, even though he doesn't need to. Yes, so in the week, Liverpool beat Porto 2-0 at home in this game. Let's talk about those Liverpool goals, Tim. Did you see them? Yes, I particularly enjoyed the Thiago goal. What a strike. Uh, It's what we call in English a daisy cutter. A daisy cutter is a ball which stays really low but goes incredibly fast into the bottom corner. Yes, he hit it from some distance. I did notice that he had plenty of time to see the ball coming towards him. So it's like a midfielder's dream to, to be able to line up in position and really concentrate on getting his head over the ball and putting the laces through it. By laces, I mean the strings on his boots. It was a super clean connection. However, Tim, I preferred the second goal, Mohamed Salah's goal, just because I loved the link-up play with Jordan Henderson. Between them, there was such a wonderful understanding where Salah took the ball down the right, back heel to Henderson, who played it into Salah's path in the box. Salah knocked it on, He shimmied. To shimmy means he used his body to deceive the defender to pretend he was going to shoot, tapped it to create a little extra space and then drove it into the corner. It was a wonderful goal from an outstanding player. It it really was a wonderful goal and it it showed, um, it was the kind of pass from Henderson to Salah which shows an incredible understanding between them. And mm-hmm. that, that shimmy, as you call it, I like to say he dropped his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's a beautiful way of going past a player because, in fact, he doesn't touch the ball. Mm-hmm. He, he just uses the direction of the ball and, and fakes to go to his right towards the, to the, towards the goal. Mm-hmm. And, and his movement of his shoulder, when he drops his shoulder totally does the defender. When I say to do somebody, what do I mean? To, to trick them? Yeah, to trick them, to deceive them. It, it forced the defender to, to commit himself, to stretch, to block the shot, leaving Salah a clean path behind him to, to tuck the ball as you would expect Salah to do these days. He is in sparkling form at the moment. Yes, he really is. Mm-hmm. So that last game is going to be really tough. So, Tom, who do you think is going to qualify from from Group B? Well, Tim, maybe our, our, the listeners who know me, that know, they know that I love a veteran. And for me, I've been delighted to see the return of Big Ibra. Big Ibrahimovic in the Milan team. I watched him come on for the last half an hour against Atletico Madrid and I thought immediately he made an impact. Immediately Milan were much more dangerous. Even though he wasn't directly involved in the goal, he had other chances, he created other chances. So I actually think now Liverpool are comfortably through 
they will bring a weaker team out, they will be less motivated to win, and I fancy Ibrahimovic leading Milan to a victory against Liverpool. Okay, I think a lot depends on what kind of Liverpool team um, decide mm. to play. Uh, not only the players, but what kind of mentality they go into the match mm. with. Um, and I think that could be a decisive factor. However, I... that might not be enough because Porto are playing Atletico Madrid at home. And Porto are one point ahead of Milan and Atletico. So if Porto win at home and uh, I know what kind of atmosphere they can create at the Estadio de Dragao, uh, I think... Porto have to be favourites to go through in second place. So I think that's where we're going to disagree, Tom, because I am going to back Atletico Madrid's European Ooh. experience. Although they're in fourth place going into the final game, I think they're going to beat Porto. Um, so I think it's all going to depend on, on what Liverpool do. If Liverpool don't play with the great intensity, then I think Milan will qualify. But I think if we see the normal Liverpool, then I think Liverpool will go through as group winners and Atletico will, will beat Porto when it matters. I think this will all eyes will be on Group B. That's what we can say for sure. Yes. Well, Tom, why don't we put a beer on it? You know, that's our <laughs> currency, our betting currency. I, okay. I'll back Atletico and you can back Porto. No, uh, back uh, Milan. Yeah, or oh, Big Ibra for Milan. Yes, well, I, I also, Tim, you know, I used to work in Porto, so I have a soft spot for Oporto, uh, I'm going go, I, to decline the bet. It's too close to call for me. Okay, sensible man, sensible man. Now, I like that expression you use, to have a soft spot. I've got a soft spot for chocolate. Uh, what does it mean? Good, yes. A soft spot means that uh, it's, something, it's another way to say you like something. It, or, it, or you can't resist it. Yeah, it's often something that might not be... 100% good for you or something which maybe you feel you shouldn't like but you do anyway you often you have a soft spot for that thing yes or, or that person yes yes I, I find when I'm teaching Tom I always have a soft spot for my students who like football <laughs> yes. um, right fantastic now um, moving on to group C my favourite team from the from the Champions League so far has been Ajax. Not because I think they're going to win the competition, because I'm not totally crazy, but um, I just think they've been playing some really good football. They've had a they've had a difficult group, and 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 they've been flawless. They've been mm -hmm. absolutely perfect. Five games, five wins, fifteen points, thirteen goals. Uh, goals for uh, but they've got a goal difference of thirteen, and. Dortmund are in third place in this group with Sebastian Haller looking at some Europa League football. So what do you think about this group, Tom? You mean Haaland looking... Sorry. Yeah. Yes, Eric. Is it Eric Haaland? Eric Haaland, Sebastian Haller. Yes. Sorry, I was getting confused with the other big striker in this group. Yeah, we'll come on to Haller in a little while. Uh, this group, yes, I, I agree with you that Ajax have been great. The question is, have they been really tested? Uh, Sporting Lisbon and Dortmund are good teams... But we will see in the later stages just how good uh, they are. Dortmund have got a big match at home against uh, Besiktas, of course, big team from Turkey, who mm. are really out of contention. So it'll be interesting to see, again, what kind of team from Besiktas play. And then mm. Ajax have got a, ga a game against second-place Sporting. Um, so it'll be interesting, Sporting Lisbon, of course. It'll be interesting to see mm. uh, what attitude they bring to that. Yes, I... For this one, I anticipate that Sporting Lisbon will get at least a draw. Even though the game is in Amsterdam, uh, at the home of Ajax, 
Uh, Ajax are already through. They're comfortable. Sporting Lisbon need a draw to guarantee qualification. Uh, so for that reason, I expect uh, that Sporting will get something from the game because probably Ajax will rest some players. And Tom, related to uh, to that question, if uh, if Dortmund were to drop out of the Champions League and to fall into Europa League football, do you think that could be a reason for Haaland to, to look for a, a new team in, in January? Uh, I don't think he'll go in January, but uh, I think he's probably got his agent telling him frequently of all the big clubs, bigger than, no disrespect to Borussia Dortmund, sorry Borussia fans, but the bigger clubs who will have their eye on him. Surely, you know, I I believe Chelsea... Are, uh, are interested and I'm sure the Spanish giants are interested. And of course his father played for Manchester City so um, mm. uh, I think they'll definitely and, and they don't have a striker at Manchester City well apart from Gabriel Jesus so, yes. so I think there'll definitely be some City fans hoping he goes there. Mm-hmm. So is that enough on Group C? We, really we, do we think Dortmund can't win? They're three points behind Sporting Lisbon uh, and I believe that We've, we've looked at the permutations. Because Lisbon won and drew against Dortmund, Dortmund cannot qualify, if, even if they win and Lisbon lose. So, yes, actually, I have to take back what I said. I said that I thought Sporting Lisbon would be competitive and play for a draw. They don't need to. They're already qualified because of previous results against Dortmund. OK, fantastic. So, Group D is uh, a lot of our interesters, a lot of our listeners will be interested, of course, because it's the Real Madrid group. Uh, Real Madrid have had a quiet but very successful start to the Champions League season. Played five, Mm. 12 points, qualified with a game left, very comfortable. Okay, they had a a minor slip-up against against Sharif, Mm. um, but... They're there on 12 points, sitting pretty. If I'm sitting pretty, Tom, how am I feeling? Worried or comfortable? Very comfortable to be sitting pretty, yes. Feeling very comfortable. And what about the final game? Uh, well, I sent Inter, Inter have qualified as well, and mm-hmm. Sharif are going through to the, uh, to the Europa League. Is there anything you want to comment on on Group D, Tom? No, it's pretty much stitched up already. By stitched up, I mean uh, the results are sealed. You're right. Real Madrid will qualify, and Inter will qualify. Sheriff will go into the Europa League. I would just like to make a comment about the evergreen Real Madrid midfield. What do I mean by evergreen, Tim? Well, evergreen is a type of tree which is green all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we talk about an evergreen player, it's a player that, that even though they're old, they still play like they're young. They don't lose their legs. Yes, watching the Real Madrid Trio in midfield, I think our, our listeners will know, of course, I'm talking about Tony Cruz, Luka Modric and Casemiro. You are watching evergreen players who certainly against uh, Moldova's finest club, Sheriff, they looked like they were men in their 20s. They looked like they can play forever. The real test, of course, will be when they get to the later stages of the tournament and if the legs on Luka Modric in his mid-30s and Tony Cruz are able to compete with the younger, dynamic midfield of the, the big clubs. We shall see, but I just want to doth my cap. By doth my cap, I mean salute, you know, show my respect to these Real Madrid players who are playing very, very well and seem to be doing 
like the Real Madrid of old under Carlo Ancelotti. It's interesting because, um, in fact, they're not even that old. Casemiro's 29, Tony Cruz is 31, Modric is the one that's getting old. He's, I think he's 35 or 36. Mm. But these players, they, they've been top-level players for a good 10 years. Mm. Really impressive players, really impressive players. Um, then, for different reasons, a lot of our Spanish listeners will be interested in Group E, but maybe not with the same level of positivity. Because Barcelona, some would say, are second in the group with a chance of qualification, two points ahead of Benfica. But then others would look at their final fixture and see that it is away at the Alliance Arena in Germany against Bayern Munich. And they would look at their previous results over the last few years there. And um, they, they would think, hmm, maybe Europa League football is coming to Barcelona. Especially when they look at who Benfica have to play and see they have a home tie against Dynamo Kiev, the bottom team in the group. So uh, they've only managed to get one point from their first five games. Now, let's not forget, it looks like a draw would be enough for, uh, for Barcelona. But a draw away in Germany is not easy. Um, can, Tom, can you imagine a football club like Barcelona playing Europa League football? Uh, it's been, it would be hard to imagine, given the Barcelona that we are used to watching for the last two decades, or even longer, you could argue. Uh, however, this Barcelona team is in transition. We still have a couple of the old guard. We still see Busquets and Piquet. Alaba. Uh, Al- 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 Alba. Jordi Alba, Alba. Jordi Alba, that's Jordi Alba. right, yes. Uh, but it seems that uh, they need to, to get some new players in to establish the new players. Xavi needs more time to establish himself as the coach. So I would say it is a club in transition and it's very possible that they will be in the Europa League this season. The only thing in their favour is that Bayern are already qualified. So it will be... Uh, a Bayern team that's less motivated than the Barcelona team. Yeah, I've got a slightly different perspective on uh, Barcelona going down to the Europa League. Um, I think it could be good for them. Um, I remember seeing Arsenal lose many matches against Chelsea, Manchester City, 5-0, 5-0, 5-0, 4-1. And these defeats, they, they, they destroy the team's confidence. They destroy the team's self self-belief and I think that going out of the public eye dropping down to the Europa League possibly having a chance to win the Europa League because let's face it if Barcelona go to the Europa League they're going to lose in either the semi-final or the final or they're going to win it a club Mm -hmm. that size and those victories could really build momentum some build some team spirit Um, but if, if Barcelona qualify for the Champions League this side have no possibility of winning it If Barcelona in the next round were to play against a Manchester City or a Juventus or a Chelsea, then I think over two games they could easily lose six or by six goals or seven Mm -hmm. goals. And I'm wondering about the long-term damage that that could do to some of the young players that uh, Xavi Hernandez is trying to bring into into that side. So I think it could be what we call a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. Now, a blessing in disguise is uh, something which appears bad, but in fact is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think dropping down to a bit of Europa League football could be just what Barcelona need, a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, I'll move on because I, I 
I don't think the Barcelona fans will want that, but you could be right on that one. I tell you who won't want that is the Barcelona accountant, because obviously <laughs> yes. the Champions League pays a lot more money. I'm talking yeah. on a sporting level, of course. Mm. Now, Tom, do, should we go on and talk about this Group F? What yes. a group. So, Group F, Manchester United, Villarreal, Atalanta, Young Boys... And we have Manchester United top of the group on 10 points. They are already qualified. Villarreal in second place on sec 7 points. Fighting with Atalanta on 6 points for the second spot. Could young boys still qualify? They're on 4 points at the moment. I think their head-to-head -head results mean it's impossible for them to qualify for the, mm -hmm. uh, for the late stage of the Champions League. So the intrigue, the, the interesting thing here is between Villarreal and Atalanta, one of your favourite teams. Yes, it's, uh, well, well, yeah, I think it will be a really exciting uh, final game. It's definitely the match I will be watching next week mm -hmm. will be Atalanta against Villarreal. And I will be hoping for an Atalanta victory. I think they've surprised a lot of people... This this year they've got some really attractive football um, I think we've spoken about it on previous podcasts the way they make space the way they pull the defense around uh, and exploit the weaknesses exploit poor communication between mm. defenders I think it's really interesting uh, they obviously got a very intelligent manager and he's doing some good things mm. um, I was also really interested to see the the last match between Manchester United and Villarreal uh, it was 2-0 and um, that, that result flatters United a bit. Uh, Villarreal did have a lot of the ball, but goals are what changed, uh, goals are what changed uh, games, and the two goals United scored were both of top quality. Um, Ronaldo scored a lob. Now, a lob is when you put the ball over the goalkeeper. You put the ball up over the goalkeeper, and it dropped down into the goal. Uh, it was a very nice goal, but the highlight of the game for me was the second goal, uh, Fred won the, ball, won the ball back in midfield. He played a good pass to Ronaldo, who moved the ball down the left. Uh, he played uh, an, a ball inside to Fernandes. And Fernandes opened his body up, uh, looked like he, he was going to shoot, but in fact played a, a clever little ball to the right to Sancho, uh, who took a touch and smashed it in the top corner. And when I say smashed, he, he kicked the ball as hard as he could. And... Mm -hmm. It was a wonderful team goal. It was another flowing goal that we spoke about before. Uh, the ball kept on moving. And it was exactly the kind of football that United haven't been playing. Um, I imagine Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was sitting at home and thinking, oh my God, why wasn't I able to make the United players play like that? Mm -hmm. um, but it will be encouraging for whichever manager is going to become the next manager. At the moment, it's Michael Carrick as the interim manager. I believe the, yeah. the correct term is the interim interim. Interim interim. Yes, okay. because they're still looking for an interim manager. Uh -huh. uh, so it's a strange plan United have gone for. Most clubs would find a manager before they sacked a manager. But according to reports that I've heard, uh, United didn't want to go behind Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's back by looking for another manager. What do you mean, go behind someone's back? To do something without letting somebody else know. Mm. So you can talk behind somebody's back, you can make a deal behind somebody's back. Uh, they didn't want to negotiate with new managers behind mm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's back. Mm. And so when he left, it meant that they had no plan. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the knee-jerk reaction, and the knee-jerk reaction is an instinctive reaction, 
Yes, it's as if uh, the doctor is hitting your knee with that little hammer, and yes. so it instinctively lifts your leg up. The knee-jerk reaction, yes. The knee-jerk reaction was to put Michael Carrick in charge, but I think there's an acceptance that he's not going to be a good enough option to get them till the end of the season. And there's also an acceptance that the market... There, there aren't the top managers on the market at the moment, so they want a temporary manager. All the talk of the moment is... Um, the previous uh, Barcelona manager, Balberde, mm -hmm. which will be interesting because he does speak English. He has got some good uh, footballing pedigree, uh, which is experience. It'll be interesting to see if he uh, is involved or not. But we're getting sidetracked, Tom. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about Champions League football. I do apologise. <laughs> That's all right. Let's decide then. Villarreal or Atalanta? Who is going to take second spot in the group? I see that Villarreal have seven points. Atalanta have six points. But are at home for the last game. That's and it's it's a head to head. Atalanta against Villarreal. Yes, I'm backing in Bergamo. I'm backing Atalanta to to take the victory here. Oh, I'm going against you on this one, Tim. I'm a big Unai Emery fan. I think he has the credentials, the pedigree. I mean, the the experience and quality to do what he needs to do in these kinds of situations in the European competitions. I, I, I'm, I think he, ha he has a lot of pedigree, but I just think this Atlanta side are going to be too creative for him. Mm. It'd be interesting, though. It could go either way, uh, just like a lot of our groups. Moving on to Group G, which mm -hmm. on, on, a one, on the one hand is a very exciting group. Uh, it looks like the top three teams could still come first in the group and all four teams could qualify still. So that's very exciting. The only problem is, Tom, is the calibre of team <laughs> in this group. And when I say calibre, what do I mean? Yes, calibre is a nice synonym for the quality. Yes. yes. When I look at this side, uh, with, with this group, and I see Lille, Salzburg, Sevilla and Wolfsburg, mm -hmm. I think Sevilla are the only real traditional Champions League side in this group. Mm -hmm. And I look at some of the British clubs in the Europa League, or even teams who didn't qualify the, for, qualify for the Europa League, mm -hmm. and I think some of these British clubs are bigger clubs and have better footballing uh, quality than, than some of these teams. Mm -hmm. But... I do think um, Salzburg have surprised a few people. Their scouting system is second to none. They have an ability to sell top-level players and find the next diamond, um, and it's incredible. Um, they seem mm -hmm. to be seem to be giving all of the top European teams their next diamond. Is all coming from from mm -hmm. Salzburg? Of course, they've got a lot of money um, from the Red Bull family. So I want to describe this group to our listeners. We have Lille on eight points, plus one goal difference. Salzburg, seven points, plus one goal difference. Sevilla, six points, plus one goal difference. Wolf Wolfsburg, five points, minus three goal difference. So it's incredibly tight in this group. Going on these goal differences, if that gives us any clue, then we... The betting, I would bet that Wolfsburg will not qualify. It's quite close, but that would be my estimate. The final game, they've got Lille at home, and Salzburg are at home to Sevilla. So if I have to predict who's going to go through in this group, for me it is the home teams. I would bet on sorry, Salzburg at home to beat Sevilla, or at least get a draw and Lille to get a result at Wolfsburg. They're my, the top two, I think, will go through. 
What about you, Tim? Well, I do think Lille will get a result at um, Wolfsburg, but I'm going to disagree with you. I think um, that Sevilla's European pedigree mm-hmm. will uh, will come through for them, and I think Sevilla are going to take the victory on the last day and send Salzburg to their rightful place, Europa uh-huh. League. Um, it will be interesting, though. It is a very tight group. I just don't think anybody's going to be watching it. Uh, yes, and I'm not sure how much the the two teams that do qualify, how far they will go in the tournament exactly. after that. Do you think they might be what we call the whipping boys of the last 16? Mm-hmm. Yes, or the also-rans. The also-rans. expression that comes from horse racing to describe the horses that didn't win, but they also ran. Yes. yes. And then the final group, Tom, Group H, mm-hmm. is a group... Uh, well, I think the top two teams in the group uh, are two teams that could definitely challenge in the later stages of the tournament, um, a bit like Group A with uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester City. But Chelsea and Juventus, what a result for Chelsea this week. 4-0 against Juventus. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it looked very tight between these two clubs, really, but Chelsea just... Uh... Yeah, destroyed Juventus at home. I don't know. I didn't watch this game. I saw the goals. Uh, so it's hard for me to tell, were Chelsea really good or were Juventus really bad? Well, um, I think it was it was the, the former. I think Chelsea were really good. Ju- Juventus played their normal game. They turned up. They, were, they have quality. They were organised at the back. But mm-hmm. Chelsea just played them off the park. Mm-hmm. Thomas Tuchel's team is an all-round team. Uh, it's hard to find a weakness in this Chelsea side. Okay, you can think of teams that play more beautiful football or score more beautiful goals or have a more beautiful player, but on on a overall level, I think this Chelsea team ticks all the boxes. And one player who I am really impressed by is Rhys James, the right mm. back. Um, there was talk, not this summer, but the previous summer, that Chelsea were going to break the bank on Hakimi. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they decided to look at their um, their academy instead, and they brought through Rhys James, who had been on loan in the championship, and they backed him, and he's really paying them back. That faith is really being paid back. Yes, I'm a big Rhys James fan. I I had him in my ch- uh, fantasy football team last season, just as I know you've got him in your se- team this season, Tim, scoring you some big points. Uh, he's one of these players in the England squad. Uh, who has really benefited from being part of that group, from that training, that environment, growing in confidence, and now it's paying dividends. By paying dividends, I mean we are seeing positive results every week when he's playing in the Premier League, and now, as you comment, even in the Champions League he can do it. In defence, and he's added this attacking side to his game. Amazing crosses and finishing now. He's even scoring goals. Yeah, he's he's. I would I would say he's the complete player. I was on a Chelsea uh, forum the other day trying to see what the Chelsea fans were thinking, and a lot of them were asking him to be asking for him to be playing uh, at right wing as opposed to mm. right back. Mm-hmm. I've got an interesting question for you, Tom. Um, if you were Gareth Southgate, who would you pick at right back? Kyle Walker, mm-hmm. who has had Mbappe in his pocket mm-hmm. uh, over these two Champions League games. Mm-hmm. Trent Alexander-Arnold, mm-hmm. who is an assist machine. Mm-hmm. Or Rhys James, who is having, well, he's just playing incredible football. 
<laughs> and 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 I'd like you not to be what a normal English manager would do, which would be to try and play all three of them oh. in positions that they aren't used to. That's what that was going to be my answer. But could I at least say that Kyle Walker does sometimes play centre back, and I have seen Trent Alexander-Arnold playing further up in midfield this season for Liverpool. And so. this is exactly why England have been over seven, 60 years without winning a World Cup, Tom. <laughs> no other international country would do that. They would make a difficult decision, they would have a difficult conversation with two of those players, and they'd back one of their mm-hmm. players. And I think Gareth Southgate at the moment is backing Carl Walker. Mm-hmm. I think it's his shirt to lose. Yes, if you put me on the spot, if we're looking for a defender, then Kyle Walker gives you pace, strength and experience. Uh, Reese James, Trent Alexander-Arnold give you great strength, great skill, great ability, but lacking that experience at this moment in their careers. I think I'm going to try and classify it like this. I'm going to try and classify it as uh, attacking quality out of 10, defensive quality out of 10, and speed out of 10. And for Walker, I would give him a, a 7 for attacking, a defending, I'd give him a nine, just because I mm-hmm. think his pace is uh, is so good. And I'd for mm-hmm. speed, I'd give him a ten. Mm-hmm. For Trent Alexander Arnold, I'd give him a nine. Uh, attacking, I'd give him defensively. I'd give him a four, and a speed, I'd give him for six. Mm-hmm. And for James, attacking, I'd give him a seven. For defending, I'd give him a six, and for his speed, I'd give him a seven. Mm. Now, if you add all of those up, the one with the highest average is Kyle Walker. Mm. And I think that's probably the calculation that Gareth Southgate has done. Yes, well, there's two lines of thought on this, Tim. You get you get some scouts who love their data, who love to compile these kinds of statistics and would probably agree with you. Then you get the other type of scout, the old school scout, who says you can't use numbers to make these decisions. You have to rely on instinct you have to rely on what you see happening so uh in that respect you know maybe kyle walker wouldn't win with every scout or or gareth southgate i think it's one of those situations where it's a good problem to have mm-hmm. um okay tom so that's fantastic yeah We've... that was group h and just to confirm chelsea and juventus are already qualified zenit will probably go into the europa league malmo bye bye see you next year uh, so that's our roundup of the groups. So our ten qualifiers are Manchester City, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, Inter Milan, Sporting Lisbon, Ajax, Liverpool, Juventus, Bayern Munich, Manchester United and Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, before we finish today, Tom, we've got some interesting questions. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the season. Um, let's start looking back over this year quickly. Who do you think is going to win the Ballon d'Or. Who Or, let's rephrase this, who is the left pod player of 2021? Mm-hmm. Yes, very good question. We have to look at the Italy team that won the Euros in the final. But you're asking me for a player. You're not asking me for a team. And I have to say that there's not one of these Italian players who would even make the top 25 world's most expensive players, the world's most desirable players in the transfer market. So, uh, you know, I, I love Verratti in the Italian midfield. I think that he made a massive difference to their... Or, but 
probably the biggest difference would be the goalkeeper. He, I think he was player of the tournament, Donnarumma. Yes, substitute for yes. Paris Saint-Germain. So in terms of winning the big trophy, I would probably lean more towards Donnarumma rather than a club player. I know Chelsea won the Champions League. Uh, was it Manchester City won the league? But yes, for me, Donnarumma. What about you? Okay, well, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I'm always... Uh, I would never give a Ballon d'Or to a goalkeeper, personally, because <laughs> I remember when I was playing football at school, the people who could play played, and the people who couldn't play went in goal. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to give it to Mohamed Salah, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give it to him because I think he does things that most people can't imagine, can't even dream about doing. Uh, I think he's a real entertainer. If I was a, a, a Liverpool fan, I would be happy to pay my match ticket price to go and watch Mohamed Salah every week. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's the consistency of performance. Mm-hmm. It's not just does he play well once, has he scored a good goal. I think he's doing it almost every week. Another player who could battle him for consistency, of course, would be Robert Lewandowski, mm-hmm. who's had a great season. Again, I think he's the highest scorer in this calendar year mm-hmm. of any player across Europe. But... I always question, is the, is the Bundesliga really that competitive once you've taken away the top three or four teams? And Bayern Munich didn't do it in the Champions League. So um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to give him uh, this award this year. But for Mohamed Salah, I would be happy to give him this award. I, th- I have to say Salah would be in my top three, particularly for the way he has started this season. Uh, it's like... It's like watching a maestro. It's like watching someone who has truly mastered their craft. That's easier to do when you're a defender or a goalkeeper, as you rightly pointed out. But if you are an attacking player, a goal scorer, and you can perform to such a high level, score so many great goals, uh, yes, I, I think you're right. Salah is a strong contender, but he didn't win anything in 2020, did he? No. But um, I, I just 2021, think, so. yes, I think it's a great combination that Mohamed Salah has. He has raw speed, but he also has incredibly close control. His way mm-hmm. of the way he controls the ball with players around him is incredible. And also, he's got a killer shot when mm-hmm. he gets the space to shoot. Most of the time, you see that ball in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, what about this year's Champions League, Tom? Have you seen enough so far from any side to think that they're your favourites? <laughs> yes. Uh, of course, I'm not going to surprise any of our listeners with who I think are the best clubs. Uh, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and then maybe just slightly below them, Inter Milan and Ajax. That's my top seven. Uh, I think on the way teams are playing and the form, Chelsea are, I agree with you, Tim, they've, they've got this quality, they've got this momentum and self-belief that means that they're top of the Premier League and dominating in the Champions League. However, do I think they're going to win it again? No, I don't. Thinking about the ebb and flow of the Champions League, what do I mean by the ebb and flow? The way things change over time. Yes, yes, the the changes over time, the rhythm of the Champions League. What we've seen over the last two decades is that when we have clubs from one country dominating the late stages, I mean the semi-finals and the final of the Champions League, just like we had with Chelsea and Manchester City in the final this year, it normally means there will be a big change 
by next April, next May, and it's quite likely to be a club from the continent. Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, or even Ajax or Inter as outside bets. But if I had to choose between them, I still fancy Paris Saint-Germain. I think Pochettino has got the squad. He's got a style of play which can make them irresistible on the counter-attack. By irresistible, I mean... Unstoppable. Unstoppable, yes, that's right. So, even though they were beaten at home by Manchester City, my top tip to win is still Paris Saint-Germain. What about you, Tim? Well, I'm not going to back Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, I've seen them play twice this season against Manchester City. Uh, they won one of them, but they didn't deserve to win that one. And they lost the other one, and they deserved to lose it. I think my problem with Paris Saint-Germain is when they've got the ball, fantastic. But when they haven't got the ball, they're not going to create enough problems for the for a quality opposition. They've got no press. Mm-hmm. And I think in the top level uh, nowadays, in the modern game, you need a press. You need a coordinated press. And what worries me most about this Paris Saint-Germain side mm. is their Can manager. Can we just clarify... In case anyone doesn't know, what is a press, a coordinated press? A press is when, when the team is when the defensive team is trying to leave leave their area with the ball, instead of letting them leave the area and st- and defending from the halfway line, you're you're stopping them having any easy pass. And it's mm-hmm. what's come out of Germany over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um Jurgen Klopp, heavy metal football mm-hmm. as he likes to call it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think without this press I don't think they're going to cause any problems. And as I say, the biggest problem I see with this is that really Pochettino is a manager who likes to employ the press. And when I watch this, this Paris Saint-Germain side, what I see really is a manager and players who have a different philosophy. Mm. And that's why I don't think they'll win the Champions League because they're not doing what their manager wants them to do. We know what they want, uh, he wants them to do because he's, we saw the way Tottenham were playing when he was at Tottenham. We saw the way... Uh, Southampton played very well under Pochettino Mm. and if the manager and the players aren't singing off the same hymn sheet and I mean Mm. what that's an expression to mean if they aren't doing the same things or saying and doing the same things if they aren't aligned harmonized if they aren't harmonized thank you then then I think that's a big problem I don't think any team I don't think any amount of quality on the pitch can can compensate for that so for that reason I'm going to rule out Paris Saint-Germain um you, I, I accept your point saying that normally when one country dominates, the next season it's not the same. But the three teams you mentioned, I think they've all improved. Mm-hmm. I think Manchester City are better this season. I think Foden's a stronger part of the side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a couple of their younger players are a year older. I think their defence has got a year's more experience playing together. I think Cancelo has really... Uh, started making that left-back position his own. I think he's he's doing things in the left-back position that I don't think anybody has ever done uh, with his right foot. Um, and and then Ch- uh, Chelsea as well. And Liverpool are back. Liverpool have got their defenders back. They've got their injuries back. So I think all of those three English teams could really be favourites for the competition. If I had to choose one, I would choose Man City. Mm-hmm. Even though Chelsea probably play more efficient football I think on their day, Manchester City are, for me, my favourites for the Champions League this season. That's a good good choice, I think, because we have to also consider that Manchester City still haven't won the Champions League. But does that mean 
Does that mean that they'll get to the final and then Guardiola will make another strange decision? <laughs> and that is, I think, Manchester City's biggest weakness in the competition mm. is Guardiola's capacity to overthink mm. at the most important time. Yeah. Uh, if he doesn't do that, if he's learnt the lessons of the past, then I think there's, there's no reason why they can't do well. Mm -hmm. um, let's have a look forward to this weekend, Tom. Mm -hmm. um, there's a big match in the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea against Manchester United. Uh, Michael Carrick, of course, the interim interim manager. Mm -hmm. uh, Chelsea on good form. Can you see anything but a Chelsea victory here? Well, I was talking to my dad earlier and he thinks that Manchester United might get a result here because uh, the new manager bounce, players with something to prove, a bit of confidence after winning in the Champions League in the week. But no, I don't see it. I think when they, Manchester United come up against Chelsea, we'll see that difference in quality. We'll just see that extra level of professionalism, particularly in midfield, where you have players like Jorginho, Jorginho who protect the ball so much better than, say, Fred and McTominay so I think Chelsea will show how much better than Manchester United they are okay and Tom we're uh, 50 minutes into this podcast and you haven't mentioned West Ham yet so mm -hmm. I imagine that's because they lost last weekend and they've got <laughs> yeah. another tough match this weekend away at Manchester City but Manchester City will be retired from the European challenge mm -hmm. so do you have any hope for this match well, if Manchester City were the only tired team, then that would be OK. But West Ham have a game in the Europa League tonight. So actually, we have even less recovery than them. Uh, so if we had got a result at Wolves, I'd feel very confident. Because we lost at Wolves last week, the way football is often, you know, about momentum and a good run and the psychology of, of a winning streak... Uh, I'm not so optimistic. I think that Manchester City... Can we win? Yes, we can. Will we win? Probably not. Um, how worried about the loss of form of Antonio are you? I've seen he hasn't scored many recently. He started the season fantastically off the back of last season. Are you starting to worry? Not worried at all, no. Uh, I saw... He's, I, I know I talked to you about it. He scored an absolute belter for Jamaica. I saw that goal. Yes. It was an amazing goal. So... When he's hitting the ball with such confidence, I have no doubts that Antonio will continue to be the main man for West Ham as long as he stays fit. OK, fantastic. And what about Arsenal, Tim? Who have you got? We've got, um, some would argue, the biggest club in the world. Uh, Newcastle United, at home, at the Emirates. Newcastle are on a terrible run of form. They're in the bottom three. But, interestingly, although Arsenal are sixths, Newcastle have scored more goals than us. So I'm expecting a low-scoring game. Um, I'm hoping for an Arsenal victory, and I think that will happen. I'm predicting 2-0, a comfortable victory, in fact. Mm -hmm. Oh, very confident. OK, well, that brings us to the final piece of news, and this is actually a piece of sad news regarding two players this week. John Fleck, Sheffield United midfielder, collapsed on Tuesday evening in a championship game against Reading. Uh, it appears to be uh, a chest. He, he collapsed on the field and he, was, uh, he took some oxygen. Luckily, after 11 minutes, he was able to get back on his feet. He went to hospital. 
He has since been discharged and returned home, and we are waiting for news on what it's about. By discharged, what do you mean there, Tom? Discharged means released from hospital. That, that, he is free to go that's home. That's when the doctor says you can go, right? That's right. And the, and, and the police can discharge you as well. If they arrest you and then they decide they you're not guilty, you're not, you're not to be investigated, they will discharge you. So it's like an official way of saying you are released. That's right, um, yes. It's interesting because uh, we have done a bit of research. We're not scientists, we're certainly not experts, but it does look like the, the amount of players who are suffering from chest pains whilst playing to top-level sport has increased significantly over the last year. Uh, and we are going to do some investigations into this. Um, I was reading a newspaper article from, from Israel that was saying that uh, from the year 2000 to the year 2018, in professional football, international professional football, there was an average of about five players a year stopping regarding uh, for chest pain reasons and already in 2021 there's been over 180 mm -hmm. uh, so that is a worrying statistic uh, and we're going to do some investigation that's right i raised the point we we wanted to talk about it this week because last night watching the real madrid highlights they played in moldova against sheriff and the sheriff winger adama traore also went down collapsed complaining of chest pains uh, and he was thankfully able to get up and walk off the field. But it's the same thing, just as we saw with Kun Aguero a couple of weeks ago for Barcelona. And let's not forget Christian Eriksen in the summer. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, I also read this report. There is a, an, one Israel newspaper that has been cataloguing these injuries. And you're right, Tim. It is since December 2020, 183 professional football players have uh, suffered this injury, either in training or in games, this kind of uh, collapse, chest-related injury, and 103 of those players have died. So it is something very serious. Uh, the ex-Southampton forward Matthew Letissier tweeted about it this week. He's asking, when are we going to have an investigation into what is causing this 500% uh, or five-fold increase in this type of injury happening to professional sports players? Yeah, it's an interesting topic. Uh, often when we think about top-level sports people, we think about them having a temple of a body. Now, mm -hmm. when we say in Britain and English, a temple of a body, we say like a perfect body. Mm -hmm. um, but they are humans. They can suffer health problems. Mm -hmm. And when they do suffer health problems that aren't related to them playing sport, like an obvious injury, like a muscular injury or a, a, mm. a, a bone injury, then I think it is important that we, we ask why. Um, because they are healthier than us, so if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone. In your, in your memory, Tim, as a, a follower of football, uh, you know, you know I, I, these kinds of injuries or these kinds of uh, incidents happening on the field of play uh, it's typically a once every few th years thing. I'm, I'm thinking of Mark Vivian Foe or uh, uh, or Mwamba, is it? The Bolton, Mwamba. Yeah, Bolton Wanderers. That was about six or seven years ago. But the point is, as you say, they, these are two cases that we can remember over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And yet this year you have Aguero, you have Christian Eriksen, and these are top-level players. These aren't players you're mm -hmm. finding in a league in, in some mm -hmm. forgotten country. Yes. This, these are top-level players. These are household names. And when I say a household name, I mean 
a player, a name that is famous all around the world. So it is important that uh, good information comes out and it is important that people mm. are investigating this. Uh, and for that reason, I'd just like to express my disappointment with many of these media channels who are refusing to ask these questions about how these players are suffering these injuries and if there is a connection between the vaccinations that these players have received and not. It seems to be a taboo subject. You're not allowed to say the word vaccination. Luckily for us, Tim, we don't have any sponsorship. We're not going to lose our jobs if we say it. So I'm going to say, is there a connection? I'm asking the question openly. I don't know the answer, but I think this should be discussed publicly. How many more players have to have this happen to them before we investigate it? And also, I mean, uh, if if there isn't an investigation, it 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 doesn't smell good. Mm-hmm. It's and when I say that, it it means it gives a bad impression. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with these things, with health and with medicine, it's best to always be very open with people to give people all of the facts, the full amount of data that's available, and let them make their own decisions because. Mm-hmm. Once you start treating people as idiots, once you start giving people just the information that you think they want to have, mm-hmm. then obviously uh, that does provoke a reaction, and that would be uh, dangerous, or, or it, it would be it would be not the intended result. Yes, result. It, it creates division when people feel they're being lied to, when people feel they're, and by lied to I mean a lie by omission, omission meaning not receiving the full story, the full truth. To be economical with the truth. That's a nice way to say it, yes. So yes, I agree wholeheartedly, you know, we, we need the facts, we need open discussion, open debate, open investigation about this. Uh, it sounds like we agree on this one, Tim. I think we do. I think mm-hmm. we do. Uh, I think we definitely agree that being open and giving people information is, is the right thing. And we mm-hmm. also agree there is a need for the, mm-hmm. these serious issues to be investigated. Yes, just to, to clarify how serious it is. Uh, if it does turn out that these players such as Kun Aguero, uh, Pedro Obiang, ex-West Ham player... Uh, Christian Eriksen, if they are in fact now suffering from myocarditis or pericarditis, the prognosis for these players, they have a life expectancy now of, uh, I I believe it's close to between 50 and 60% chance of dying after five years. This is as serious as it gets. Tim's waggling his hand, so maybe I'm not quite right with the science. Maybe Tim can uh, correct me. I'm not 100% sure of the science. I think the mm-hmm. science is, uh, is for scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an interesting topic. And as I say, I think good information and, and clean information, objective information, is the secret to this situation so everyone can make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Tom, I think, have we got anything else to cover on this week's episode? No, I think we're done. And that's probably our longest one yet. Wow. Now we're coming up for one hour. So, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you all on the on the Learn English Football podcast, as always. Don't forget us to follow us on Apple, to give us a review, even leave us a comment. That would be lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also follow us on Spotify. Uh, and please uh, join us on the Facebook group. That's uh, English learners who love football. Uh, you can interact with us. You can set the debate for next week uh, if you want to ask us a question or if you want to ask us to talk about a specific a- aspect of world football. Mm. We'd be more than happy to uh, to get involved. Yes, we would. Yes. So thank you again to our listeners. If you like what we're doing, if you want to help us, please share our podcast with any friends, any language learners or just people who love football and would like to join the conversation. 
Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye.